Welcome to KeeksCast, the podcast with discussions of practical theology that seek to offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. I'm your host, Keegan Richardson, and today is Monday, the start of a new week, but still in the same series that we have been going through here on KeeksCast. And that theme and series that we have been going through is the theme of God's holiness. And we are almost done. We have about one or two more weeks left in this theme before we jump into a new set of daily readings that uh, focus on a different aspect of the attributes of God. But today we are discussing arguably one of the most important passages in all of scripture. It is found in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Exodus. And I say it's arguably one of the most important passages in all of scripture because it is all about God. And it is God speaking. It is Yahweh declaring to Moses what he is like and what he does. Um, And it, it reveals a lot about God's nature where we can draw comfort from, where we can draw truth from, and even where we can draw practical theology from, which is our goal today. But this passage is found uh, quoted or referenced to, and I believe just under 20 or just over 20 different times through all of scripture. Uh, The Bible Project, they have uh, a YouTube series on the character of God that discusses this passage. And depending on your views on the Bible Project, I think they do a pretty good job of breaking it down simply and faithfully. Um, So if you're interested in checking that out, I'd highly recommend it. But I will go ahead and jump into our daily reading today. So it is found in Exodus chapter 34, uh, and we'll read verses specifically 5 through 8. So it says this, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So there is a lot going on in a small amount of scripture this morning. Um, But we're going to break some of those things down. I'm going to point out a few things as we observe the text. And in our application today, I just encourage anyone reading this as a daily reading or just listening to this to Look at it for yourself and just focus on the different descriptive words that God uses to describe himself. It's extremely beneficial and it's extremely helpful in thinking about God on the terms that God has given us instead of thinking about God and running into the potential danger of thinking about God in ways that he has not given us or he has not told us about himself. Um, So, All of that, let's look at verse number six. So the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. So the first thing that God chooses to 
declare about himself to Moses and describing at least a hint of all of his nature, all of his, uh, who he is in terms of his covenant people. He describes himself as merciful and gracious. I believe some other translations um, translate that part as compassionate, but he is merciful and gracious, which tell us even more about his attributes. He is a God that is not um, unjust, and he is not a cruel God. He is not an unfair God, but he is perfectly just, but also merciful and gracious. And then he continues, and he tells that he is slow to anger. He does not tell us that he does not have anger or that he doesn't get upset or nothing grieves him and who he is, but he tells us that he is slow to anger, that this idea of anger is present, but he is not quick to show or display anger. And then he continues in a similar way with gracious and merciful, and he says, and I am abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Um, Other translations will say loyal love and faithfulness, but steadfast love and faithfulness kind of complement each other in the sense of that there is a aspect that he stays where he has said he will stay. He is not a God who abandons. He is not a God who um, changes his mind. He is not a God um, who changes at all but rather he is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So keep verse 6 near your mind, near the forefront of your mind, and we'll continue in verse 7, and then we'll start to point out a few things. So he says, keeping steadfast love for thousands. And when he says thousands, he's referring to generations. So thousands of generations, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And this is where it starts to take a really unique and a really important turn. He says, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So in terms of mercy, and the phrase, not clearing the guilty, we have two ideas that in a very logical way conflict with each other, or they create a tension. And scripture does this a lot. And if you've been listening to the podcast, as we have gone through the different themes of God's holiness, you will notice that there is a tension between God forgiving his covenant people but God also showing judgment and punishment that is just for things that they have done that are evil because he is a just God. So in terms of being merciful and gracious and compassionate and abounding in steadfast love, but by no means clearing the guilty, those are two ideas that are reconciled within this passage, even if they don't appear to be. Because this is who God is. And this is who God is at all times, all at once, simultaneously. He does not change. In terms of how we are, I can show mercy to this person over here, 
But to a different person who has done the same thing, I could not show them mercy and not clear their guilt from them. See, that is how God is different than we are. He does not change, yet both of these are true all at one time. And in doing the daily reading myself today and struggling with this with this passage or trying to break it down to where I can understand it in a practical way and in a way that is beneficial and comforting to my own spiritual life, there is a tension here. And there that tension is intentional in a lot of ways. The problem here for the reader is that it can be this passage can be a comfort and a terror within the same few seconds. It can be a comfort when you're reading it and you know that the God who created the universe wants to tell you, wants to tell Moses that he is a God merciful and gracious, that he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's great news. If anyone that I met described themselves to me in that way, that they were merciful and gracious and that they were a faithful friend or a faithful family member, that would be great news. But at the same time, God is much different. He's completely different. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And not only does he abound in steadfast love and faithfulness, but he does those things for thousands of generations because he does not change. And he forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. He is a forgiving God. He is a God who is slow to anger. All of this is a comfort. It's great news. And then the terror can come along if you understand who you are in terms of the following sentences. He says, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, it's not so comforting if you understand who you are in the eyes of God, who you are in comparison with the God who created the universe. The problem here for the reader is that God, who has already described himself as holy, um, if you've read the Bible up to Exodus that chapter 34, he's already described himself as holy. And as we've discussed in this theme of God's holiness, holiness, in at least one respect, means morally perfect. He is completely just. He is completely good. He is completely non-evil. There is no shadow in him that leads to evil things or wicked things. And if you understand human beings at all, or human nature at all, you know that is cannot be said for the human. So the terror or the problem for the reader is the tension between this God is a forgiving God, but he will by no means clear the guilty. The reader has to understand that in at least some respect, he himself or she himself or she herself is guilty, at least a little bit in some regard, because they know they are not morally perfect. They have failed morally in some respect. They have committed some type of evil against a friend or a family member. So there is a tension that how can a God be merciful and compassionate and gracious, but also be just 
and not forgiving the guilty. So the New Testament actually answers this question for us, and we will get there. But before we do so, I want us to look at the semantics and kind of the structure of our daily reading today. So the Lord begins in five descending in the cloud, and he's standing with Moses, and he begins to proclaim the name of the Lord. He passes before him and proclaims, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Notice how a God merciful and gracious is the top layer, and slow to anger is sandwiched in between a God merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It is a similar structure to what is going on in verses uh, to, in verse 7. So he is keeping steadfast love for thousands, thousand referring to generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Um, notice how he responds in terms of iniquity in two different ways. He forgives iniquity, but he also visits iniquity on those who are guilty. And he shows steadfast love for thousands of generations. And he visits iniquity to the third and fourth generation. So there are a few kind of parallel structures into how this is laid out semantically. Um, I know there's more intentionality in how the structure is laid out in the Hebrew. Um, but I don't know Hebrew, so I'm not even going to attempt to try and explain that. But the important thing to realize is that his steadfast love is for thousands. His visiting of iniquity is to the third and fourth. And the semantic structure and kind of the rhythm of it complement each other in verses 6 and 7. So as we conclude today, I want us to reconcile how this tension is relieved within the broader scope of the biblical narrative. So this is answered by God in the person of the Son of God, Christ Jesus. So the entire New Testament. And it is important to realize in the Old Testament this idea of a substitute. There is a sacrificial system set up within the Old Testament where the sins of the people of Israel would be transferred to an animal or an offering of some sort, and that would symbolically um, show that God had forgiven their sin because a substitute had taken the wrath that their sin um, deserved. And it is very similar and true within the, within the New Testament. However, this truth is not conveyed through animals in the New Testament and is not conveyed through a actual lamb in the New Testament, but rather what is referred to to Christ as the Lamb of God. So God is able to show mercy while also not clearing the guilty with this idea of a substitute. And Christ, for the sinner, for the person reading this text who understands that there is a problem in my case if God forgives the guilty, but also will by no means clear the guilty. He's gracious, but also just. 
So the reconciliation for the reader, for the sinner, the tension is relieved in the person of Christ and understanding what Christ, what God the Son has done um, in his life and sacrifice on the cross. So Christ arrives on the scene and he is declared as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he lives a life that is morally perfect. He lives a holy life. So he is morally just. He is morally perfect. There is no evil in him. There is no shadow of wickedness in him. And then he dies in the place of sinners. He dies in the place of readers who understand the tension of Exodus 34 and who trust in this sacrifice. So he is the sacrifice. He is the substitute for the sinner. So because the wrath due to sinners is transferred to Christ, the truth of Exodus 34 remains true. God's character remains unchanged. God's nature remains um, unbroken. God is merciful and abounding in steadfast love, but by no means clears the guilty. So Christ was counted as guilty on the cross. And that is how that tension is relieved. So as we conclude today, I want to point out that I am oversimplifying Exodus 34 in the sense of its importance in the broader scope of the biblical narrative. However, Exodus 34 shows us why the sacrifice of Christ was so important and why the sacrifice of Christ is exactly in line and is exactly uh, in step with the character and nature of God. And that is the gospel, that God's nature is not compromised in terms of God's forgiveness. So that is reconciled in the person and work of Christ Jesus. So I hope that is encouraging. That is the gospel message laid out pretty simply, pretty quickly. And we will continue to discuss these things on this podcast. But we will be back here tomorrow. So this is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. I'm your host, Keegan Richardson. We will see you back here tomorrow. Later. Later.